up until the age of 10 and 12, you had mm-hmm. them full time, basically, except every other weekend and holidays. Yeah. yeah. And then it swapped. Right. It literally swapped. I know your heart had to break. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 132 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. That's right. That's right. How you doing, David? I'm doing great. You're doing well. You're doing well. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Before we forget, let's announce this week's winner of the Sylvia Crack Hour. Nacho Kids Academy Scholarship. All right. The winner of this week's Nacho Kids Academy Sylvia Crack Hour <laughs> Scholarship <laughs> is <laughs> B Naskew. B Naskew. B Naskew. Naskew. Uh huh. B B Naskew. Yes. All right. Cool. We will see you, B. That sounds bad to even say. <laughs> we will see you, B. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. You don't call somebody a B. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you in the Nacho Kids Academy. That's right. All right. So, David, what's going on in your life lately? Uh, well, my grandson is home from the hospital. Ooh. Yep. Baby so G's not, home. Baby G's home. Yeah. Not out of the woods yet on the medical front, but it's progress. Yes. And when this podcast releases, he will be one month old. I know. And it's like almost a month from the first time we saw him. Yeah, but, you know, happy one month, baby G. I know. We we went to see him yesterday and, you know, of course, babies sleep. And I'm like, wake up, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) And then David and Avery go to get something to eat and he's awake the whole time. Yeah. And as soon as they come back, he's asleep. Mm -hmm. He's a sleeping youngin. I got to hold him the whole time he was awake. Did you? I did. Now, mm. when you were holding him, you said something about Big Mammy, and he smiled. <laughs> Y'all, this kid is not even a month old, and David is teaching him how to be a button pusher. <laughs> I just don't know what to do with this. Yeah, I think it comes natural. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I'm not teaching him. I'm just honing his skills early. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and we get to see him again Friday when yep. this is released. Oh, I need to get him a birthday present. A birthday present? A one-month-old birthday present. You could get him a actual birthday present for his birthday, like, you know, your actual birthday, like the day you were born. Not celebrating the day you were born, but the actual day you were born. What? Like the day you were born. Your birthday. Not celebrating the day you were born, like years later, the anniversary of the day you were born. It's the actual day you were born. But we weren't there to give him a gift on the actual day he was born. So you're giving him a late birthday gift. Oh, I think I got it. Yeah. Because the birthdays are not birthdays. They're anniversaries of birthdays. Okay. (laughs) Speaking of anniversaries of birthdays. Yeah, somebody else has got one coming. Who would that be? (sighs) That'd be my sweet. Sweet, sweet wife. You got another one? I can't say. I am not crazy enough to have another one. <laughs> Are you out of your mind? Uh-huh. So, no, you've got one coming. I do. And uh, 
Yeah, we were celebrating the, I forget how many anniversaries of your 39th birthday. My 18th birthday. Oh, your 18th birthday. Yeah. So this would be like the 20th anniversary of your 18th birthday? David, we will not tell people how old I am. (laughs) What's wrong with you? (laughs) Yep. So um, as it is for us guys, it's the stressful time of year when you have to figure out what to get your wife for a birthday. And you hope that your wife will save you from the dilemma by saying, I ordered me something from you (laughs) for my birthday. Yeah, that's what you're hoping for, huh? That is exactly what I'm hoping for. I would also like to take this opportunity to wish someone else a happy birthday. Their birthday's next week as well. Aletta, happy birthday, Aletta. Oh, that's right. Y'all share birthdays among other things. No, it's not the same day. Same month. Yes. Well, you know, some people, they don't even care about the day. They're just like, oh, we're in the same, what is it, Zodiac thing. Oh, you're a Leo too. (laughs) (laughs) whatever that is yeah (laughs) yeah but Uh, some uh, some of those signs split in the middle of the month yeah they do i don't know anything about them but anyway it's just funny how people find commonalities with each other oh you have brown hair i do too yay yeah it could be anything oh you've got 28 teeth or 26 teeth whatever it is i do too yay okay i've never heard that one (laughs) but think about the commonalities people gather around each other about it's and some and sometimes it's different for different people. For example, you're probably not going to find a club of people who just drive Chevy Capris, <laughs> <laughs> but you will find a club of people that drive Jeeps, mm-hmm. um, or you may find a club of people that drive uh, another specific type of vehicle, dune buggies, for example. People that like specific brands gather together. So it's just interesting how people will find others that like something they like. And even if everything else is completely opposite, even if your worldviews are different on everything else, the commonality of the fact that you both drive a Jeep is all you need to get together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in light of that, in the season where we're all crammed in with people that we don't really have anything to do with the rest of the year... <laughs> Find that commonality that you can gather around each other with. (laughs) Even if the commonality is you don't like each other. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes that's all you can get. Mm -hmm. All right. Our guest today is Dr. Sonia Can Meland. (gasps) I know her. Yes, you do. We had a great interview. Great interview. We were talking about schools and step families, amongst other things. Mm -hmm. Sonia's so sweet. Mm -hmm. Like, she should be like an encourager. She is an encourager. Yeah, but that like should be her title. Okay. Dr. Sonia <laughs> Can Milan, the encourager. Yep. The encourager, not the enforcer. That's her new title. <laughs> the encourager. Yes. Sonia, the encourager. <laughs> yep. You will notice that Sonia has an accent. Well, she would probably say you have one. Okay. Well, one of us has an accent. <laughs> I'm from the South and the United States, and she's from Australia. So she's actually more Southern than I am. Depends on where you're standing. Looking at the globe. (laughs) The world don't flip upside down. I'm not north of her. I mean, I'm not south of her. (laughs) Dang it, I did it again. Uh, What was that crazy when you did the other day? I don't know, David. Oh, you told somebody that we lived on the West Coast. Do not share instances (laughs) like that. 
Like, what? (laughs) I had about eight emails open. I was trying to do all kind of stuff. And that was just proof that I cannot multitask very well. Because (laughs) I've never lived on the West Coast. I know which coast we live on. I was thinking East and typed West. We live on the West side of the East Coast. (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't. Stop. You screw up, too. I just can't think of them as quickly as you can. (laughs) You did something the other day. I can't remember what it was, though. Darn it. I'm going to have to start writing these down. Anyway, Sonia and her husband have been blending for 16 years. That makes you an expert. Mm -hmm. She has two bio kids and three step kids. And one of her bio kids is on the spectrum. You know, the interesting thing about listening to people outside the United States is I think sometimes people feel that their challenges are so super unique. And when you start hearing that, oh, wait, it's not unique to me, nor is it unique to the town I live in, not even the country I live in, Mm -hmm. it really starts putting a different perspective on on this whole blended thing where it's like, wow, no matter where I am, a lot of these challenges are very similar and sometimes they're almost identical as to what they are. So it's just, it's just very interesting to to see that how the challenges can cross every single line you can imagine to to be a common thread. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's why step parents need some kind of hand signal. You know, like throwing gang signs. Yeah, like throwing <laughs> gang signs. Well, you know, if you have a Harley and you're driving a Harley and pass somebody with a Harley, then you do this little hand motion. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the little Jeep people. Yeah, but you know when you're passing somebody on a Harley. How do you know when you're passing a step parent? You can see the despair on their face. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm going. To, we're going to start doing that when we go out to eat. We're going to point out who we think's a step family. But then we we'll have to go ask them. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> I would. We were sitting here watching you, and we decided that you were part of a step family. Is that true? <laughs> Bring a microphone with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ask the waitress to slip them a note that says, "Are you part of a step family? Yes or no? <laughs> Please check one." Well, the thing about it is, you're more likely to be right. Than, than wrong these days. Yeah. Yep. Well, it might would be easy to tell sometimes with the interactions of the kids and one of the adults at the table. Yeah. Because kids are going crazy and you'll see the other adult there rolling their eyes and not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's a sign. And yeah. <gasps> that is the step parent sign. The eye roll. Is that what it is? So when you see another step parent, you roll your eyes at them. <laughs> you roll your eyes three times and blink twice. Yeah, that's too much. I'd have to go to the optometrist after doing all that. Oh, I got dizzy doing it. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't do that. All right, one eye roll and one blink. Yeah, we'll have to come up with uh, with that. All right, so folks, that's that's your task for the day. Email us and let us know what kind <laughs> of gang sign should you throw <laughs> at other step families <laughs> to identify your. Um, your uh, existence in the gang. <laughs> and the middle finger is not allowed. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. Oh, that's funny. All right. So, David, let's get to listening to my interview with Sonia. And we love All Sonia. Right. All right. Here we go. First, here's a word about the Nacho Kids Academy. Mm-hmm. 
there is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle step-family challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step-parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. Today, we have Dr. Sonia Can Miland. Hey, Sonia, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So you help step families. Yes, I do my best. <laughs> and you are part of a step family. Yes, I am. I'm in my 16th year. Wow. As a stepmom. And you've got bio kids. Yes, I have two. I have two biological sons, 28 and 26. And one's about to have a baby. Oh. Yeah, so we're our second grandbaby. And then how many stepkids do you have? I have three. And how old are they? Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> 29, 28, and 24. Okay. So they're, they're all grown. So when you started blending, they were teenagers. Yeah, the youngest was, I think, six, five or six, something like that around there. Wow. But, um, yeah, the others were teenagers. The other two were, teen- mm-hmm. were um, I think one was 15 and one was 12 or something. And I actually notice now the difference in our relationship, I feel like, the, the little one, who's not so mm-hmm. little now, but, you know, being so young, she can't remember dad and mum being together. Right. She doesn't have memories of that. She only remembers dad and I together. And I think that has impacted our the way we've connected. Do you feel like you have a better relationship with her because of that? Possibly. Like the other day I was talking to a friend and, and saying that I notice like facial expressions or something she says and I think that's not a Milan thing, that's kind of a canned thing, which is which is my family, you know. Mm-hmm. So so I think because she's so young when we got married that she's taken on, you know, expressions or behaviours or, you know, little little things that I can see in me. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be biological, you know, for people to kind of rub off on you. Oh, yes. As (laughs) I know, (laughs) David has turned my son into a button pusher. Oh, there you go. There you go. One of the things that my youngest does every time she comes and visits and we have a laugh about it is that she walks in, she gives me a hug, she says hello, and then she goes straight to my fridge and straight to my cupboard <laughs> looking for food. None of the others do that. And one of the one of the things that I've always said is that home is where your mother's fridge is. Mm-hmm. I've always said that. <laughs> so she always comes scrounging around for food. And I really see that as a love thing because I did that with my mum. Whenever my mum and dad moved to me, I found comfort 
in wherever her fridge and cupboard was because that's where all the things that remind me of my mum, mm-hmm. you know, the her famous chocolate cake or, you know, so food's very close to my heart. So, you know, that kind of connection, I don't know, it's special. It's special and yeah. it's something special that we have that she and I have. Mm-hmm. It shows a comfort level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cute. I get the giggles every, every time I see a dust <laughs> cover, you know. So when y'all started blending, yeah, how often did you or did your husband have his kids? So it was every second weekend and half the holidays. Okay. Whereas I was a little bit different. I had my children, I was the primary carer and then my former husband had them every second weekend and half the holidays because we we were a long distance step family. So they lived two hours away. My former husband lives two hours away. So it's a lot to travel Mm -hmm. every second weekend. And then they got to 30, no, 12 and 10, and um, there was a bit of pressure for my husband and a bit of enticing for the kids to move move up and be with their dad full time. So they moved up, which was very hard. Like it's hard enough having new children leave home when they're adults mm-hmm. and I'm feeling like an empty nester. So to become an empty nester, just kind of how it felt for me and when my boys were so young was mm-hmm. really difficult but maintaining a connection relationship with them was my top priority and they were so desperate to go up so for me to force them not to go up which I could have mm-hmm. I think would have destroyed our relationship and I know that dad is a wonderful dad and so you know I, I knew that this would be an important experience for them so they moved up there and then I become the access parent so my role changed yes yeah big time oh it was not easy (laughs) I suddenly felt uninvolved well that's what I was going to say is you're so used to having them because up until the age of 10 and 12 you had them full-time basically except every other weekend and holidays Yeah. yeah And then it swapped. Right. It literally swapped. I know your heart had to break. Oh, yeah. And because I have a son with special needs on the autism spectrum and, you know, learning struggles and anxiety. So, you know, a parent who has a child with special needs, like we are like parents on steroids. We are there protecting our kids as much as we possibly can, you know, uh, teachers see us coming a mile, any service providers that are working with kids, they see us coming a mile because, you know, we are fierce. Mm -hmm. We are fiercely protective because we know the pain and struggle that that children go through when they're perceived as different. Right. Or when they're not supported and, yeah, so I had to trust that uh, that my former husband had his back, and he certainly did. He didn't at the beginning. He was not crazy at all about the fact that I thought there was something wrong. As a matter of fact, have you ever heard of Murchausen's by proxy? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he accused me of having that, which 
that that was not great to be accused of having such a vile mental illness. I'm sorry, that's very strong words, but it is. It's vile to think that someone would would right. want to um, make their child ill, isn't it? It's horrible. So that was a hard time. And yet now here we are all these years later and, um, you know, we were just up Ballarat in the weekend and former husband came home, sat down, had a gin with my husband and then, you know, they chat about building stuff and my son, we're, you know, we're all in the same room together and, you know, then he gets up to leave and gives me a hug, says, good to see you, Sonia, bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. So things can change. Yes. So why did your sons want to go live with him so badly? Oh, well, my eldest was being bullied mercilessly at school and both my former husband, he would travel down and myself, we would go to the principal and have these meetings to try and set it sorted out. There was a, a couple of boys that were like literally punching my son in the face. So he was just being tormented and then my other son who has special needs, we were homeschooling, he was involved in a school as well, part-time and full-time on and off. And kids and teachers really, really struggled. So kids were really mean, could be Mm. really mean to him. And he was just always getting into trouble because he didn't understand he was interrupting or he he just didn't understand how you were supposed to behave in a classroom and, and we couldn't access support because we couldn't kind of box diagnose him and uh, so we, we didn't get the support that he needed. So the kids were unhappy. Uh, they were happy at home and with their friends, but when it came to their other social contexts, school mm-hmm. in particular, it was really, really difficult for them. They were, they were really, really unhappy. So when they went up and had time with Dad, they were on a farm and Dad was saying, oh, you know, if you come and live with me, you get to have homeschool, you don't have to go to school and um, it's going to be amazing and, and it is beautiful up there up in the country and you can have animals and all these wonderful things. And so after scolding my former, former husband for having that conversation before mm-hmm. having that conversation with me because it kind of I felt set up, I felt like I had no choice, the kids came back begging, just begging to go yeah. up. Yeah. So I, I, I felt really torn. And so when they moved up there, were they homeschooled and was that a better place for them? They were homeschooled for a little while. Look, I have to say that my former husband was amazing. He got lots of services involved. The relationship with their stepmom was a little bit, there were struggles there because living with someone on the spectrum can be challenging. Mm-hmm. can be really beautiful and you can be incredibly blessed by uh, living with people on, on the spectrum. But it can also be challenging because they're wired differently. They're just right. wired differently and it can get very tiring and overwhelming. Well, and it's a lot easier when it's your own child. 
Yeah, yeah. And look, I'll be brutally honest, you know, I found it hard, Mm -hmm. you know. Even as a biological parent, it is hard raising child with special needs. Mm -hmm. You can't fix it. You just have to journey with them. And then there are some times where you just want to say, well, why can't you do that? You just, I just want you to do that because the fear of how they're going to, how are they going to cope without you? Yeah. You know, it's very scary. It, it's really, really scary. So I'll often say to my husband now, lots of parents don't necessarily have to be thinking about how are their children going to cope mm-hmm. when we go? Do you yeah. know, yeah. yeah, like you know, I I have to think how set up is my son going to be. I need to make sure he's set up and okay in case something happens to me. Yes, you know, we're really, you know, most parents send off their kids into the adult world. You go, be free. You're in your twenties. <laughs> you can do what you like. Now, yeah, you know, we're here, but you know, it's your life now. But it's very different when you when you have a, a young adult with special needs. Yeah. So he did an amazing job and and now you know we, we work as a team, both my former husband and myself, not so much stepmom. She's more in the background. Thankfully. <laughs> she has a wonderful relationship with the kids now. It, took a while but Mm -hmm. she she has a good relationship the more that she does that stepping back the closer that they are yeah does she have kids of her own one yeah one is it an ours baby or just it was hers no it was ours ours okay yeah yeah that that makes a difference too yeah yeah that's right but uh and it did, it did make a difference. So, particularly with my son with special needs. Well, we now have a we have a property up in Ballarat now, and uh, my son um, because he couldn't live with his stepmom, and dad was getting overwhelmed with the way those two were fighting and stuff. So we bought a property up there and we've moved um, our son in it. So he's close to dad. He's still two hours away because we we still live two hours away, but mm-hmm. we have this property up there where I we know he's safe and, yeah. Yeah. It's nice. So did you decide to start helping step families because of the struggles you went through or because you just saw the need? So I've been working in social welfare and counselling for over 30 years and I spent 11 years working in schools, working with children and their families. And I was so surprised by the amount of step families and single parent families I was coming across and actually found that I I had to change the way I worked with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) because their situation was so different to a nuclear family. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, so, so I think I was kind of waking up to, wow, you know, there's a real need here to, to understand these children 
from their family context, not just them as individuals, but what life is like for them in their homes and how that impacts their life at school and with their friends and, you know, how does that all all work with them? Mm -hmm. So I started to think about that but didn't do anything about it until I took a course in uh, Teacher's Aid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I took a course and I became a a Teacher's Aid. And the lady running the course worked at a university. She was a doctor and she was fantastic. I I learned heaps. But one of the things I was struggling with was everything she was teaching just wouldn't work in my family, wouldn't work in a step family. So from Mm -hmm. a personal perspective, I was like, you know, she was talking about how important routine and consistency was and, (laughs) you know, you've got to be careful about change and how you help a child on the spectrum with change. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that's normal life for a step family. Yes. All of that's normal life. So I just can't stop that because that's normal life for me. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. so, yeah, so that I went to her and I said, look, this is all fantastic. Love the course. Love your material. But can you just give me a bunch of stuff around step families and autism? That would be really great. And she said, well, oh, I don't even know it exists. So she went back and had a chat to to her co-workers and stuff and came back and said, look, we've had a look, there's nothing. Why don't you do a PhD in it? <laughs> that was what she suggested. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you did. Well, yeah, but I had to do my master's. I had to, so, yeah, yeah, I did um, six years of study. But, you know, it's not so hard when it's something you're passionate about. Yes. And can I just say, whoever's listening, thinking, oh, my goodness, wow, that's really amazing. I was a real battler at school. I had my own struggles and special needs at school. So, you know, if you're really passionate about something, you can you can achieve whatever you want. I really yes. believe that. So, I do too. Yeah. I fail. I don't know what you call over here. Uh, we called it HSC, which is the last year of high school. Mm-hmm. We call it, it your senior year. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you call it? Your senior mm-hmm. year? Yeah. Yeah. I was told not to do it. This was by a teacher because you will fail. <gasps> and guess what? I did. You failed? I failed. I failed. My family joke says, you talked yourself into university, which I kind of did. <laughs> so, so you failed high school? I failed high school. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I really struggled. I had epilepsy. I had epilepsy and it wasn't under control and it was like petty mal. So it's just where where you can't hear or see or, you know, and you might be out of it for, you know, 10 to 15 seconds. And I was having seizures between 2 to 10 minutes. So can you imagine how much information I lost? Right. So I was in every remedial class that was available, maths, English, writing, reading, everything, because I was so far behind because of my epilepsy. Yeah. Your teacher was telling you not to do your last year of high school? Yeah. Yeah. And now you're a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How amazing. 
So know who you are and have really positive people around you to speak into your life as as you grow and get rid of those toxic people. <laughs> yes, because your family's right. What That teacher planted a seed of failure in your head. So yeah. it was there and you didn't fight it. You didn't fight the thought that was there. It was, oh, well, everybody knew I would. Yeah. Everybody knew I would fail. And I even did worse than that. I took it on as my identity. Mm-hmm. So my health and what teachers were saying to me, I took it on as I'm not smart, I know very little, and so it it affected every area of my life. If mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with someone, I would always lean, I would just agree with them because what would I know? Right. You know, so I just found it. So it, it just influenced every area of my life. You know, my self-esteem was really, really low. Yeah. We often hear stories of where teachers have made a great impression on students and told them, you can do it, very supportive, and change this child's life. Yeah. Very rarely do we hear about the negative impact teachers have on kids when they say stupid stuff. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I really believe that this teacher was quite possibly trying to help me you know I I think he was you know don't do this go and get a job go and get a job because you know you're going to waste this year and I I know it sounds it was damaging right but in his own ignorant way I think he was trying to help but it didn't help and and I can see that I can see him thinking I need to push her towards what she can achieve. Yes. Yeah. Would have made a difference if he said it in that beautiful way that you (laughs) (laughs) did. But, you know, now instead of those comments influencing me in a negative way, you know, it's still a part of me, those experiences, but I can utilise them to encourage others. And I can also, you know, I've found it really beneficial for me to be able to reflect back and go, wow, you know, that's not true. Yes, I did fail year 12, but look at what I've done. Right. Is he still alive? No, I actually, I actually, <laughs> yeah, because I, I so wanted to call him up. <laughs> but no, no, he's passed. So, dang it. Because <laughs> I so wanted you to go to him and say, Hi, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Dr. Sonia, the child that you said would fail. <laughs> but yeah, that's why it, it is important to be educating our teachers to understand our children and understand this is what I did my doctorate on from teachers and supervisors understanding step families and not just working with them like they would a nuclear family. Yeah. I had a teacher come and say, I really struggle with this particular, let's call child Harry. Okay. It's not really Harry. I'm really struggling with Harry. So on Monday when he arrives to school, 
He's just, you know, I feel like I'm dealing with a Jekyll and Hyde. You know, Monday is an absolute nightmare and then Tuesday and Wednesday, like everything seems, you know, it just changes. Mm-hmm. You don't understand, but he just changes. And then when we head to Friday and then I'm dealing with his nightmare again, you know, and, and he won't do his work and he's not focused and, you know, and then when when we unpack the story, we find that this little this little Harry has to travel quite a distance from his access parent mm-hmm. and he's just gotten home on the Sunday and he's exhausted, you know, and then he has to go to school and he's barely had five minutes in his primary home to kind of chill and he's, he's in school and so he, he just can't focus. He can't focus. So, you know, and then by Wednesday, by Tuesday, Wednesday, he's settling in a bit and, you know, just getting his rhythm going. Mm-hmm. But then when it, it's coming to the end of the week and, you know, he might have a meal in between with the access parent and homework doesn't get done because the homework doesn't travel to the other parent's house and so the child's getting into trouble and, mm-hmm. You know, and if it's a high-conflict step family, then you've got a kid who's anxious and stressed because parents have been screaming at each other. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's all these issues that parents aren't necessarily aware of. Right. And it's hard to get the school system to change. And even with Jackson, the school would send something home and they only send one. So I would have to make a copy or scan it and email it to his dad. Yeah. Which is fine, but a lot of people say, well, they should provide two. Well, that would be great, but they don't know where the kid is on what day. No. And it's not up to the teachers to keep up with it. And you've got where everybody's schedule's different. Some parents have 50-50. Some have three on, three off. Some have every other weekend. There's no way that you can expect a teacher to keep up with that. I think the best way to handle that is send all documents the child needs via email and copy both parents. Yeah. I don't know what your system is over in the U.S., but here in Australia we actually have quite good systems where both parents can access everything online. So mm-hmm. they they can see, you know, homework and you know, so it 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 is a good setup. But where where some parents miss out is that inclusive connection in the school environment. Mm-hmm. Christmas concerts and yeah. um, you know, special events, even parent teacher interviews things like that, just making sure that they're more step family inclusive. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a lot a lot of work that, that needs to be there. I would be a little harsher than you actually about the expectations that I would put on teachers. You know, we, we're dealing with what, in the US, are you over 50% step families? Oh, I believe so. You, you're yeah. over 50%. Our statistics a little bit 
poor. So, you know, even our Australian Bureau of Statistics, they, they say to us, you know, add a few more because we're very conservative. Well, and that's like here, they don't measure it. When you go to yeah. the doctor, you check married, single, divorced, widowed. There's no blend. There's no yeah. word to choose a blend. So the numbers are actually guesstimates. Yes. Yeah. But they're, they're still high, aren't they? And it's yes. the fastest growing family form in Australia. And our single parent family form is our second highest coming to the couple family form. So looking at that, I kind of feel that teachers are needing to be more involved in understanding step families and, and working with step family forms because the school I was working at, I went through all our families trying to gather some statistics and there was over 50% that were step families. I didn't do each single parent, I didn't even count the single parents and right. I know there are a lot of them. So there were 50% of our families were step families. So why why aren't teachers sitting around in their staff meeting really hashing this out and discussing it? Because it's not far off the majority of their families. Well, and I see your point, and I do think things need to change, but I was thinking more of you've got a teacher that has 20 students. Of those 20 students, 10 are in a blended family. Yeah. Of those 10, five go every other week to the other parent. The other five are split between every other weekend and the three, three, five, five, whatever it is schedule. Yeah. So from a teacher standpoint, for me to keep up with little Johnny's with his mom this week, his dad the next week, and then little Susie, she's with her dad Monday and Tuesday this week, but with her mom Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it's just, it's too complicated. It would be different if everybody was 50-50. Or everybody was every other weekend. But I do think that it's hard when you do have every other week, and especially if your child is young, because the older they get, there is access to grades and homework and stuff like that online. But when little Johnny colors his picture or writes his ABCs and gets the grade and it gets sent home with mom... On Monday, and the kid doesn't go back to dad till the next Monday, then dad never sees that work and vice versa. And then yeah. if if the Christmas play announcement is set on Monday that mom has the child, then hopefully mom would communicate that with dad, but that doesn't always happen. So I really think school calendars are extremely, extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. For every event. Yeah, and that's a good point. Teacher can't follow, you know, the program of every family and, you know, how how they're set out. But if a more inclusive environment is established, then what it will do is bring parents in to the school and hopefully the parents will feel comfortable and feel more connected Mm -hmm to the school environment and so they'll sit down with the teacher and say look I just want to I want to let you know what home life looks you know how it looks for Harry and 
could you please make sure you give me all this information because I have him 40%, mum has him for how whatever percent. You know? Right. So I, I feel like the, the more we work on inclusion with step families, you know, because often it'll be just one parent that's involved mm-hmm. and one that's lesser involved, right. you know, or doesn't feel welcome. Or if it's a high conflictual situation, you know, council couples now and this one couple, um, I encourage them, they're the access parent, to get involved in the school. And he was saying, no, I can't because my former partner's toxic and involved in every area, you mm-hmm. know. So he just, he really, really struggles because he feels that people are judging him, teachers are judging him. So, you know, that's a real issue there, isn't it? So how does his father support little Harry in school if he feels like he's just being judged? We have a similar situation with a couple that we work with and the bio mom works at the school. And she's made friends, of course, with other teachers. The dad has requested, please send me this information. His emails go unanswered. He has taken it to the next level, talked to the principal, and he's not getting any resolution. What do you do? If I was him, I'd go to the school board. Yeah. Not the stepmom. The stepmom needs to let him deal with it because. One of the issues is the stepmom is actually a teacher. So she's, of course, pointing out everything that's happening wrong and what the teacher should do and things like that. So she's really involved with it. But the dad needs to be the one to go to the school board and say, look, I am requesting this information about my child and it is not being provided to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's It's ridiculous. And I know a lot of times, though, the teachers do feel stuck in the middle of the parents because bio mom will go and say, yeah, little Susie's with me every other week. I'm sure you can tell when she's with her dad because she'll not dress so nice or her homework's not done and just belittles the other parent. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the, the teachers feel stuck in the middle, which is not appropriate either. And that really came out in in my research that where the teachers got stuck was focusing on the parents, then belittling, like you said, the other parent and mm-hmm. kind of getting involved in the adult drama right? instead of staying child-focused. Mm-hmm. And that the teacher has the power to always draw the parent back to be child-focused and to not be drawn into the juicy story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but but to just, you know, yeah, I get that's hard. You know, I get that, uh, you know, it's hard for you guys to work with each other, but it's about Harry. Mm-hmm. This is about Harry. So I just I want to focus on Harry. Right. So even though you guys don't get along, what you know, I want to talk to each of you about how you're Harry. both going to support Harry. Yes. <laughs> I know David's kids had one teacher. They went to a private school. And so 
all the triplets were in one class. And the teacher made a comment. She said, I can always tell what week it is, whose week it is. Bio moms or yours talking to David. And David said, huh, really? She said, it's quite obvious. Yeah. She said, homework's not done. They're falling asleep in class because they're not going to bed at a decent time. Yeah. But the thing is, she noticed that on her own. She didn't come to that conclusion, per se, from David flapping off at the jaws about his ex. Yeah, yeah. And I do think it's important for teachers to know the family dynamics. They may not need to know every detail about little Johnny's schedule, but they need to realize Mm -hmm. that little Johnny's going back and forth between homes, and there is a transition time. So on, on Monday, he may be more tired because he did travel two hours. From yeah. one parent to the other. Yeah. And yeah. then you you brought up the weeknight thing about having dinner with the other parent. I've always thought that was really good until you mentioned it, because I'm thinking by the time the bio parent gets out of work, it's time for them to cook supper and have the kid do the homework. Well, if they're going to eat with the other bio parent for their night, By the time they come home, it's bed and bath time. There's no time for homework. Yes. So something has to give. Yeah, that's right. And I I love the story that you shared about David and that teacher. And that teacher is just a beautiful example of being really aware of what's going on for this child that that she's teaching. And so that's, that's the first step. And so the next step for her is how can I engage this child in learning where the child is at this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, he's, he's really, really tired this week. So the tasks that he would blitz the following week, he needs a little bit more time. He needs yeah. maybe a little bit more engagement. Mm-hmm. And that that will help him get through that week a little bit better. You know, he might need a little bit more support. Yeah, he might need, you know, because of his lack of focus, because he's tired, the tasks that he's given don't give him such such a you know like a, an hour. It might be an hour normally to do a task. Well, that week he just might need to have half an hour and then go and do something a little bit more relaxing and then come back to it. Right. You know, and so the, yeah. the teacher might, you know, just has to come up with ways to keep the child engaged but also understand that he's extremely tired or that he's not getting the same support from that family, that the homework isn't going to be done. Mm-hmm. So the teacher, you know, instead of scolding the child, if they understand that family design and how they work and and uh, then they're able to support the child more. If we just right. stay focused on the child, then we're just going to be angry at the child every time the child's not achieving what they should be. Right. But then the other part of that, and I'm not trying to argue your points because I agree with them. No, no. But I'm also thinking, okay, you've got a class again of 20 kids. Half of them are in blended families, but the other half aren't. So do you give these 50% of kids that are in blended families more leeway 
because they are in a blended family and they might have be switching homes every other week versus the kids that have a quote, quote, stable family. Yeah. Because, you know, if we really wanted to dig into it, the kids that are part of a nuclear family, their parents may hate each other and they live every day in turmoil. Yeah, exactly. So it's so hard to figure out a perfect fit. And David and I often talk about how there needs to be sports for kids that are in blended families. Because you, if you don't have the other parent wanting this child to be in the sport or taking their time to take the child to practice, they can only go every other weekend. Yeah. So if you have sports that are every other weekend, then more kids of blended families can participate. Yes. So maybe they need to have separate classes for kids of blended families. I don't know, but something needs to make these teachers more aware, but at the same time, not single them out or not give them more grace or compassion than they would another child just because they're in a nuclear home. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. But diversity, this is such an important conversation to have and continue having, and more research needs to be done on this. But diversity is not new. Right. Diversity has been around for a long, long time. And in schools, diversity is talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talk about culture. You know, we talk about all kinds. You know, over here we we talk about Indigenous folk. You Mm -hmm. know, we talk about... Financial statuses. and Yes, gay families. We talk about all different kinds of diverse situations that children are raised in and teachers are doing professional development on it all the time. Diversity is not new. So I suppose all my suggestion is is that we need to include step families as a part of addressing diverse family situations or or any diverse issue, you know, whether it be language or whatever. Well, step families. Right. Basically what you're saying, and which I agree with, is to recognize there is a difference between blended families and nuclear families when it comes to these children and their behavior and everything regarding school. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just focused on step families where where we're seeing children obviously struggling. And that also came out in the research that the teachers only recognize step families when a child struggled. Yeah. So I found that really, really interesting. And so then, you know, it became an issue whether the, the step family was was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's important to for teachers to understand the child step family form, whether it be healthy or unhealthy. Over here in Australia, our school system is expected to collaborate with parents. So all the teachers in our state system, they're all expected to collaborate with the parent to get the best education for their child. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that in a step family? Yeah. You know, so it's a high expectation that that happens. Yes. So 
it's so important that we talk about collaboration with parents in step families. Mm-hmm. We we need to be having this conversation. You know, I'm thinking it might be a good idea for schools to have a tell me about your child form. Oh. And at the first of the year, all the teachers, which a lot of times, you know, in the earlier stages of school, they only have one teacher all day. Yeah. But write down, my child enjoys such and such. My child goes to his other parent's home every so often, whatever that is. My child may struggle with the differences in rules between the homes, which may affect Mm -hmm. his ability in school. And just letting them know that because even if the kid's parents aren't divorced, you may have an absent father. Like you said, my child is, I'm the only parent my child has. It's important for a teacher to know that because if not on Father's Day, Here's little Harry, and I'm using Harry instead of Johnny this time. <laughs> but but here's little Harry saying, make a Father's Day card for your dad. And little Harry's going, I don't have a dad. And that just, I'm not saying dismiss Father's Day, but know what these kids are dealing with. And talk to little Harry before or the mom before and say, we're making Father's Day cards. I know you're a single mom. Would you like for us to make a granddad card or a mom's card or or friend card, something, what options do you have? Because I really think it's important for these teachers to know more about these kids other than they're here from such and such time to such and such time, and they can write their name and add. There's so much more to these kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to validate that their, their family form as a step family is as valuable and special and unique as any family form as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, Father's Day and Mother's Day, we do, we suddenly focus on family diversity. Mm-hmm. Let's not give it lip service. There's a bunch of other days where we we, we need to be recognising and acknowledging different family forms, not, right. not, ju- not just in schools, but service providers that are, that are working with, with children that are in, in um, step families, mm-hmm. church organisations. Yes. You know, they're big on, on Mother's Day and Father's Day and, um, you know, at my church they always get me up to share about diversity, being a stepmom and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But every other day. You know, know. that's interesting that your church does that. And I'm very thankful they do because most churches do not recognize stepmothers, stepfathers. They don't bash them, but they just don't acknowledge them. They don't want to talk about blended families and they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't recognize that on Mother's Day, little Johnny may want to make stepmom a card, but he's only got one card. So what does he do? 
And a lot of churches, they just shun away from the topic because it's uncomfortable for them and they don't know how to approach it without seeming like they support divorce. Yeah. 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 Poor Johnny and Harry. <laughs> I know. Poor Johnny and Harry. Man. Yeah, yeah that's right. And I, I, I think, too, educating uh, professionals and, and people in church organisations, schools, around language. You know, mm-hmm. how often when we're giving examples, you know, we're telling a story about family life to, you know, point out a particular issue, would we actually use a step family example? Rarely. Yeah, rarely. Hey, I've got a good one. They need to put it in math books. If your mom and dad have three kids and your stepmom and dad has two kids, how many kids does your dad have altogether? (laughs) I I love it. It just, it normalizes what is normal in our society now. Right. Step families are normal. So why, why aren't we including it in our language? Right. Yeah, exactly. that would make a huge difference in a classroom for little Johnny and little Harry, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? Or have them talk about it. You know, have a day of introduce yourself to the kids. How many kids are in a step family? How many kids have stepbrothers? How many kids have stepsisters? And not make it sound like it's a bad thing. Yeah. 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 That's right. You revamp the school system, and I'm going to revamp the family court system. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. That's a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because there's a lot of work there for sure that needs to happen. Yes. Yeah. Huge. Yes. Well, Sonia, it has been great having you as a guest on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You are so very welcome. We thank you for taking the time to share with us which you have learned. And we are so proud of you that you showed that teacher that they may have been right that one time, that one year, but they were wrong about you in general. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yes. Well, you have a great day and we will definitely have you back as a guest. Oh, thank you. Oh, I forgot. Where can people find you? What's your website? Uh, www.renewedbeliefs.com. Okay, and I will put that in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you. All All right. right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, folks. So as David and I were getting ready to do the wrap-up, I made a comment that my eyebrows were uneven. (laughs) (laughs) One of them is straighter than the other. Yeah, but part of this problem you have is not your eyebrows. It's the fact that you play so many of these little games where you like find the difference between the two pictures. And so you look at yourself and you're like, what's different between the left side of my body from the right side of my body? And then you pick out all these problems, which are not problems. They're just unique to your beautiful self. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell it's not Saturday when we're recording this because he's mean on Saturdays. I am not. You are. So David says, just shave them off. Well, that reminded me when I was in elementary school, my older sister, bless her resting soul, said, you need to do something with them bushy eyebrows. (laughs) I was a kid. 
So I went and got my daddy's razor blade and shaved my eyebrows off. <laughs> yes, I did. So, so trimming them wasn't an option. I didn't know. I was a kid. I, I don't even think I was in the fourth grade. I think I was like in second grade. Is there any pictures of this? You know, there probably is because I learned how to draw eyebrows on for a little while because <laughs> of that. And I wasn't very good at that either. <laughs> I think I was in the second grade now that I think about it. So I, was that like eight? First grade, second grade, eight? I don't know. Anyway, if you have a sibling and you ever told them they need to do something with their bushy eyebrows and they shaved them off, please apologize to them. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, at least you didn't use like Nair or something like that Whew. to wipe them off. Yeah. I think they look fine. Well, thank you. Just look at the right one, not the left one. I will. <laughs> All right, David. So what we got going on? We got two weeks till Christmas. Mm-hmm. Two weeks and one day specifically. Just trying to make it to 2022. 2022 is going to be the year for you. <laughs> no matter what you say or what you do, 2022 is the year for you. Boots and cats and boots and cats. <laughs> <laughs> so David does this stupid boots and cats thing all the time. And I didn't know what it was. And he's like, it's a song. I'm like, huh? So I looked it up. Y'all, it's a song. <laughs> we have found the craziest songs. We had someone tell us about the I Am My Own Grandpa song. Yeah, which is an older song. So I'm shocked that I didn't know about it, especially being that it's Ray Stevens. And, you know, I used to listen to him on 8-Track. <laughs> he's like your idol. <laughs> Well, he sings one of my favorite songs of all time. Furthermore, <laughs> on top of that, don't love you anyway. <laughs> my kids love that song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I ingrained it into their brain. <laughs> so y'all go to YouTube and search, I am my own grandpa. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. It makes your mind spin, though. Because, yep. well, it did me. Because I'm trying to follow the so-and-so's married to so-and-so kind of thing and yeah, you need a flow chart like crazy. Well, I know one of the videos you found had a flow chart. It, it did. It did. Drawing it out as it, the song was going. But I think the Muppets have a version of it. And, yeah. You know, which is kind of funny too. But Ray Stevens is the is the original one. So yeah, funny stuff. If you wanna if you wanna laugh today, certainly look that one up. And who sings the Boots and Cat song? I have no idea. Honestly didn't even know it was a song. It's just one of those things I've always heard that it's kind of like um, all of your, you know, rap music has that beat to it. It's kind of like the Beatbox 101 class. This is how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's by DJ Booty Cat. <laughs> <laughs> that might not be accurate, but that's what came up. It says Boots and Cats by DJ Booty Cat. <laughs> Or maybe it's DJ Booty Cat Boot. Who knows? Anyway, let's go ahead and tell people our favorite Christmas song. And we'll mention this again in the next two weeks. If you've ever listened around this time of year, then you know what it is. <laughs> it's Merry Christmas from the family. Merry Christmas from the family. Yeah. Uh, was it Robert Earl King? Good job, David. Yeah. It's just, it is straight out of... The Southern Redneck 
<laughs> genre of music. I mean, it's it's. I think the reason why we like it so much is in in some ways, there's parts of the song that just reminds you of your childhood <laughs> or your present life. <laughs> Maybe that too, but yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, no doubt, it is funny. I think my favorite Christmas song growing up was Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> and then I got a little bit older, and it's the Baby It's Cold Outside song. I love that song. I always liked Sleigh Bells. No, Sleigh Ride. Yeah. But not not the version with the lyrics, just the musical version. And then my other favorite one, which is always my favorite for some reason, is the... Charlie um, Brown Christmas. The Char- yeah, the Charlie Brown Christmas music song, <laughs> whatever kidding. that's called. No, it is. It's like I love that song. <laughs> I don't know the name. I, uh, you can probably Google it, but whatever one it is they play at Charlie Brown thing, um, I love it. I love that song. I don't know why. I have no idea. There's a bunch of Char- Charlie Brown Christmas songs coming up. Vince Giraldi. Yeah, he's the one that he's the one that played it. Okay. He's the one that played what? Charlie Brown? Yeah, he's the he's the person that uh, created the music and and played it. He's the what okay. is it? What the what they call the guy who writes the music? Artist? <laughs> yeah, it sounds good, but no. <laughs> well, I found the the TV show Charlie Brown Christmas. I'm trying to find the song. Anyway. Anyway, we're not going to hold you, y'all here while we it, do that. It it is Vince. So, uh Look that up. Yeah. Look that up. And then we were listening to one the other day, too, as I was scrolling through funny Christmas songs. Oh, wait. I th- oh, it's, I'm torn. I'm torn. I'm torn. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas is one I love, too. Mm. Yeah, you do like that one. And you don't. <laughs> I want no, a not. hippopotamus for Christmas. It's not, it's not that I don't like it. I don't, I don't really have a feeling one way or the other. It's better than some of the songs that are out there. But we listened to a Weird Al Yankovic Christmas song. Oh, yeah. That one was crazy. Like <laughs> Santa, Santa Claus went. On a went killing postal. spree or something. Yeah. Started killing every all the reindeer. And <laughs> it, I was, what in the world? <laughs> so that was funny, too. Yeah. So when I, when I did Google um, Charlie Brown Christmas, I found a video on YouTube that is 10 hours of the Charlie Brown Christmas dance. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, the video in the room where everybody's doing their little dance. It's 10 hours of video of this, of that happening. That's what and, you're going to make us listen to on Christmas. It? But here's the thing. It, as shocking as that is to even hear, the more shocking thing is that it's got 451,000 views. <laughs> But surely people didn't listen to it that long. Well, I don't know. It doesn't tell you how long they listen, but still. They may have listened to it, you know, all day Christmas. Who knows? Um, I don't know. I mean, nearly half a million people. I think if I heard it that long, it would be like the Baby Shark song. It would drive me insane. Yeah. Well, anyway. Anyway, send us a message. Tell us what your favorite Christmas song is. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. All right. Uh, Wrap us up. Like a Christmas present. (laughs) All right, folks. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week when we'll be here. Yep, we will. And for those that don't celebrate Christmas, 
Have a good day. <laughs> yeah, we'll still be here. We'll still be here. <laughs> Happy holidays um, to you people. <laughs> we're going to be here on Christmas Eve, aren't we? Ain't that on Friday? Or is Christmas Day on Friday? Oh, it will be on a Friday. It's Christmas. Yeah, Christmas Eve. So, yeah, we'll be releasing a Christmas Eve special. Well, we better well, record I that. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be special, but we'll be recording and, <laughs> and posting something. Uh, all right. As we wrap up the uh, 2021 year. Uh, we are glad to have you here. <laughs> we hold you oh so dear. Oh, my gosh. And wish that you were near. But we're glad you're not here. <laughs> <laughs> if you right, were uh, here, we'd give you a beer and welcome in the season with holiday cheer. Oh, gosh. Oh, dear. Huh? <laughs> All right, folks. Join us next week if you dare. And remember, life is good. If you don't scare. Ah, <sighs> when you nacho. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.